Good morning. Welcome to those of you who are in the room and those of you watching online. I love being with and at Mill City Church. Uh, really grateful for Pastor Aaron and Jossie and the incredible work that the team does and all you've done to build this church. We're going to jump into some very simple, profound verses today. Matthew 6, 25 through 32. If you want, you can flip there on your phone or whatever. I'll have it on the screen once we get there. Jesus is, think, is teaching on literally what I think is the basis of all faith and struggle and uh, carving a pathway into victory. And it's taken me just about 45 years to hardly scratch the surface of understanding these verses. So I did want to acknowledge before we move on that I have secretly prided myself for many, many years of being sort of the tough, resilient, just push through any obstacle kind of a guy, or at least tough-minded, you know, certainly not worrisome or, or fearful. I remember being a kid on the youth soccer field. I wasn't the most skilled kid, but I was the scrappiest. Like I would just, you know, flailing. I would run after and get the ball. And it was the best on rainy, muddy days when you could slide tackle and just get all kinds of mud stuck under your shin guards. And I remember when I started getting into multiplayer video games with my friends, they would be all cautious about the evil destruction around the corner. And I would just blaze in there, and then I'd become their decoy, and they'd clean up. Or when Sarah and I graduated seminary, and I just felt like we were supposed to go to the most difficult place on the planet to reach for Jesus, the most atheist nation, the Czech Republic at the time, 0.01% church attendance, and we were going to move to downtown Prague and plant a church in what was known as the Graveyard to Missionaries. Or I wanted to get my son excited about outdoor adventure. And so we geared up and just completed a 223-mile through hike in the high Sierras using absolutely no deodorant <laughs> or TP. But you didn't need to know that. I'm not sharing this stuff actually out of pride because really what's behind all that is a self-reliant bravado and stupidity and almost repression that I've allowed to uh, grow in my life, lacking a self-awareness around the impact of worry and of fear. And I remember a distinct conversation I had with my wife, Sarah, who is always more attuned in relationships and wisdom than I am. And she shared, you know, I've been reading scripture and thinking about life, and I think that worry and fear could actually be the core underlying issue that everyone wrestles with that keeps us from knowing and following God and growing more in freedom in him. And right in step, in character, and probably with an air of superiority, I said, worry? Fear? I don't, even, I don't know that I've wrestled with that any single day of my life. Type A, go after it. I just didn't understand it. And so when as a young Christian, when I stumbled into these words in Matthew 6 that we're about to read, I read them, I reflected on them, and I thought, Jesus, those are probably some good words for some people out there over there. Right? I got this one in the bag. 
No big deal. And it wasn't until much more recently where I've learned quite possibly worry has been the eroding undercurrent repressed in my life waiting to explode at a pressure cooker transition moment and challenge into a battle that I have had to wage. And I'll share more about that in a bit. But here's Jesus' words, Matthew 6, 25, 32. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need him. These are powerful, simple, yet not simplistic words that can change our lives. In the time that remains, I want us to cover the anatomy of worry. We're going to build out from these verses a theology to approach worry and then a pathway of victory to worry. But I do want to cover two Bible reading housekeeping items before we do. Because when I read this passage, I think there are two stumbling blocks in how we interpret it. The first is what do we do with people who are in a serious famine? You know, refugees of war or drought. I mean, really they're wondering, where is my next meal going to come from legitimately? How in the world does this text apply to a situation like that. And then on the flip side, it seems like Jesus is saying, I don't care about tomorrow, 401ks are for sinners. You know, college savings account are for non-Christians. That is not what Jesus is saying here. I just want to address these things really quickly. Uh, the first one about saving for the future. He's, Jesus is not talking about the evils of preparing for the future appropriately. He couldn't be because the whole of Scripture paints a very clear picture about this topic. Proverbs 21.20, The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. Anyone have some olive oil mouthfuls recently? Just, I'm just trying to imagine that. Proverbs 6.6-8, 6 Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest, preparing for the future. Recognizing a future need and making provisions for the future is a biblically wise thing to do. It can be stewardship now that provides the ability for you to serve others in a better way in the future. We see this even in Genesis 41. Joseph at the time was second command in Egypt, was prophesied about a seven-year famine. And what does he do? He stores up provisions that save all of God's people. We could even interpret the Lord instructing his people in the desert wilderness when he provided manna and said, on the sixth day, I want you to provide and collect for today and also for 
tomorrow. And so we can see these patterns in Scripture. And so when our interpretation of a single verse is cloudy, but the rest of Scripture is clear, what should we change? We might want to change our interpretation of that single cloudy picture and pull out the principle that spans over time and integrates with all of Scripture. So these were agrarian societies, very simple. Often they didn't have the kinds of considerations we have today. Maybe they just had simple clothes and food. They didn't have 401k planning and health care planning and long-term care planning and all the rest. It was just your lineage and the annual reigns. Jesus is saying here, principally, I want your heart free from the grip of worry. I want your eyes on more than the material. Listen to this. Obsession and preparation are two very different things. Two very different comp, uh, approaches of the heart. All right, what about that second difficult question? What about people that are seriously facing desperate, dissolute famine? And I don't honestly have an answer for it other than to say it is a cop-out for those of us who likely never will experience the most extreme example to to not apply the, the principles of Jesus with the most extreme example in our minds. We also do know that as the church, God's people, Jesus' prayer was, may more of heaven be brought to earth. That we would bring solutions to the table that the poor wouldn't have to worry about where their next meal comes from through your hands and mine together. So back to Jesus' key principle. He says, don't Worry. Now we're unpacking the anatomy of worry. And remember me, you know, the I can do it all, project a strong sense of self to the world. Everything is going to be up and to the right and accomplishments and achievements and accumulations. You know, a sense of inner strength. That is what I lived with for so many years. And then I hit my mid-40s and I still had all of these achievements unachieved and all of these insecurities not overcome. And I actually hit a massive unexpected wall. I started not sleeping. I started staying up all night planning scenarios of what the next 25 years of my life should be like, had to be like. I was playing chess with decades and started realizing, you know, what if my financial planning and my career planning and my relationship, what if, what if there's cracks in how I've tried to live this out and map this out and it doesn't work and all of these worries from like a repressed reservoir just started rising up like a tidal wave and I gave them space and time and it's like what if the economy tanks what if my house turns out to be too expensive what if I can't get further in my career what if I'm unhappy what if my kids move away what if I'm lonely and empty when I'm older and I know it sounds silly but the future had taken its clutching grip on me like I'd never known and I was trying to lean into a self-sufficiency and a self-reliance that I had depended on for so many years and solve problems that I could not solve once I hit that midlife of peak and peaked over a tidal wave of worry and more swept over me. I rehearsed the outcomes. I, the worry grew and built. It started to lock me up mentally, even physiologically, kind of paralyzed me. And this foothold of worry then spawned into this stronghold of anxiety that felt like electricity 
going through my body every single day, numbing my mental processes. I made a dramatic attempt at a, at a career transition, thinking, okay, that's going to solve the issue. I botched the transition, and I fell into even more of a, of a spiral of anxiety. And some of you who've struggled with this anxiety or even panic, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been there. You've felt it. And for those of us who don't, who have friends or family members that do, we can grow an immense compassion for this place. It is a very paralyzing situation. And how do we get there? Worry creates the foothold that cracks open the door. Anxiety turns into a stronghold, and we become slaves to fear. And that's exactly what our enemy wants to do, is to steal and kill and destroy and make you and I masters or mastered by fear and not by the Lord. This is where we can no longer live in freedom, where we're crushed and held back. And fear is what prevents us then from giving and receiving love, from seeing and hearing the voice of God. It is, it is the figurative death over the life that God has given us, a slavery of fear. And I'm admitting to you, you know, Mr. Tough Guy up and to the right all my life, I found myself there mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physiologically as a slave of fear, shattering me from the inside out. And please hear me. Worry is the insidious, toxic, explosive, just seems small, gateway drug into this life of being crushed by the enemy and transformed by his power to be a slave of fear. Maybe the enemy can't get you through an onslaught of sort of bad temptations or destructive behavior, but maybe through the channel of worry and anxiety and fear can still control you all the same. Worry is the poisonous drip that can seep into our souls and shrivel us from the inside out. It's the daily high cholesterol diet that will cover up our arteries and cause our hearts to to stop. And as part of this journey, I needed help. I went to therapy, different kinds of therapy. I took medication. I started reading everything I could read. I went to webinars. I got help through church and through groups and through whatever classes I could possibly. And at its core, I learned worry is an attempt to control the future. That is a very illuminating thought. It was for me. Worry is a cue that I'm trying to control something that I can never control, the future. It's an intolerance for uncertainty. And when worries grow, it's a sign that I'm increasingly intolerant for carrying the weight of uncertainty. Yet this life is full of uncertainties and even God's kingdom. Worry is an attempt to solve what we can't solve and control what we can't control. Now, we don't turn to worry because we're bad people. We turn to worry because we're trying to actually be responsible, right? We're trying to, I, I, I want to make sure, I want to mitigate risk. I want to ensure that something is going to be positive. I want to ensure and solve a safe and certain future. It's just those are not ours to clutch or grab or hold on to. And I want to remind you one more time, it is a gateway drug to the enemy stealing and killing and destroying a life of freedom. Now here's how this works. 
Everything within our life experience is shaped by a relationship between our thoughts, and you'll see a picture here, our emotions and our actions. Now, of course, there's external circumstances, and if we know and follow Jesus, there's a Holy Spirit and all of that. But really, you strip it all back. Everything we experience in the world is a concoction of thoughts, emotions, and actions. And it really does all begin with thoughts. Now, before you think I'm going off the rails and just pop psychology, let me show you how this is really anchored in Scripture. Romans 12:2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the what? Renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what's God's, what God's will is, his good and pleasing perfect will. You know, our thoughts sort of driving into our actions and outcomes. 2 Corinthians 10.5, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Philippians 4.8, friendly brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy, think about such Things. It begins with our minds. God knows this. We can see it in Scripture, and so does the enemy. I came across a study that showed that we are bombarded about 500 times a day with unintentional intrusive thoughts that, that this study says last on average about 14 seconds. So you do the math. Two hours of our waking time during a day, you and I are, are wrestling with toxifying thoughts that have the power to infect our emotions and affect our actions and accumulate over time to our entire life experience. And I have for many years unintentionally allowed, just not knowing any better, myself to be a victim of whatever thought came into my brain, thinking, well, that's me. It must define me. And then it would affect and infect my emotions and actions. But Scripture paints a different picture, doesn't it? Take every thought captive. It's a command in Scripture. It's a switch from saying, I am a thermometer, which just tells the temperature, to I am a thermostat. I change the temperature. It's a switch from saying, there's a flock of seagulls, you know, flying around my head to swatting it away like un unintended thoughts versus letting them just build a nest and lay eggs and make a home there. Take every thought captive. This is how we're transformed by the renewal of our minds rather than allowing our thoughts to take us captive. And so you apply this to worry and you can see how this works. When we're afraid and we're worried, we start to have this uncontrollable spinning thought. And if you want to flip to the thoughts triangle one more time. It affects our actions, and it spins then into anxious emotions, and then it causes us to have fear-filled actions. And if we put this on repeat over and over again and don't step in and change something about it, this is what spins and spirals into a mental health crisis and a life crash. Now, I could spend a whole sermon series unpacking the emotion side of the triangle and the action side of the triangle. I won't. I just want to make a quick comment on the emotions side. We always need to remember that emotions are great gauges, but terrible guides. 
Think about the dashboard on your car. You need to see how much fuel is in the tank. You need to know if it's going to overheat or if your tire pressure is low. However, in church, often we're told to avoid emotions. Don't look at the gas gauge. Don't look at the tire pressure gauge. That is very unhelpful. You can't avoid emotions. That would be like holding down a beach ball under the water. You know, how long can you do that for? Only so long. It's going to pop up and do something. The same is true with our emotions. We don't avoid them. We want to be aware of them, create space for them, go through them, but not allow them to guide our actions. Great gauges, terrible guides. Okay, we've been talking about the anatomy of worry. I'm going to jump into a theology of worry that we can trace straight from Jesus' teaching in Matthew 6. First, let me ask you, what is the opposite of worry? Is it bravery, you know, courage, jumping into the flames even though we're kind of afraid about it? Or is it sort of serenity or stoicism, a sense of like deafening or running away from the worrisome things of life or noise? Or is it just grit and resilience and just hang on no matter what? Well, Jesus shows the answer to this question and a way out of worry through this. Back to his words, Matthew 26, 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. The opposite of worry is trust. In God we trust. Your your heavenly Father knows. Look at the, I'm going to give you six massive theological truths and concepts that I've just pulled out of these couple Verses. Number one, there is a heavenly father. Number two, your heavenly father is good. Number three, your heavenly father wants good for you. It's jam-packed in this text. Number four, your heavenly father knows you and knows your needs. Number five, your heavenly father is capable of Providing Jesus makes that very clear in the examples he's using. And number six, you are extremely valuable to your heavenly father. He's there. He's good. He wants good for you. You're valuable to him. So we can trust in him. Trust is the only thing that can replace worry and have any power. This is the journey. This is the journey that we're on every single day, every single year for the rest of our lives because it shapes our thoughts, it reframes how our emotions function, and it redirects our actions on repeat over and over again when we trust that I have a Heavenly Father, my Heavenly Father is good, my Heavenly Father wants good for me, my Heavenly Father knows me and knows my needs and is capable of providing, and I am extremely valuable to Him. That is Big-time core theology that comes out of two little verses. Now I want to talk about victory over worry. And I was so happy to find out that, because I live in Denver, that Fort Collins has a Chuck E. Cheese. Awesome. 
I have been to so many Chuck E. Cheese birthday parties. Let me get a, let me get a raise of hands. Anyone been here to Chuck E. Cheese more than 10 times? Of course. Yeah, who's got like, like 25 times probably underneath their belt? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I, you know, the place with the pizza and the salad bar and the scary mouse. And you want to bathe in, you know, hand sanitizer when you leave. And Listen, I mastered one of the games. And my kids are here and they'll tell you, I'm telling the truth. I mastered one of their games so I could get like 100 tickets out every, almost every single time I played. I felt so heroic. There is nothing like that feeling of the tickets just pouring out of Chuck E. Cheese. Anyways, I was thinking of how do we get victory over worry like a whack-a-mole, which you find at Chuck E. Cheese, you know, the squishy mallet and the old, you know, 80s moles popping up. And, and it's like, take captive every thought. It's sort of like a whack-a-mole. And I wanted to bop it. I wanted an acronym. It was B-O-P, bop the worrisome thoughts. But I could not think for the life of me of a word that began with the letter O. I even looked in the thesaurus online. So instead of bopping it, we're going to BEP it, B-E-P, instead of B-O-P. You guys can do that with me, okay. Be blessed. When we see worries popping up like a mole and we want to take it captive, we are going to start not by fighting but by leaning into the blessing of trust, of the words of Jesus that we just read and the theology that we unpacked. The first thing I do when I have a worrisome thought is, I have a heavenly father. My heavenly father is good. My heavenly father wants good for me. What am I doing? Blessing, leaning back into the place of trust, receiving the blessing of the truth of the Lord. My heavenly father knows me and knows my needs. My heavenly father is capable of providing. I am extremely valuable to my heavenly father. These words are hard written into history by our Savior. Bless. The first time I hear a worry in my brain, I bep it, I don't bop it like a whack-a-mole with a bless is B. Then E, because I couldn't think of an O word. And someone said overwrite. So I already got that idea. So, but I, I, if you can come up with another one, a one-syllable one, maybe I'll change it for the future. We bless and we edit. Why are we editing? Because we are the thermostats, not the thermometers. We're, we're commanded to take every thought captive. So we have to learn to edit what is happening in our brain. Is there a negative self-limiting belief that has been crushing me? Like, oh, it happened this last time. It's going to happen like that again. Or I never could. Or it will never. Or it always turns out badly. Or God isn't there. Or he doesn't care. Or you name it. Our thoughts are only there because we're allowing them to be. We have the power of an editor's pen for our brains. Whatever we plant, or whatever plant we water grows. Whatever thoughts we give oxygen to grow. This is the thinking and the transformation behind Paul's words when, again, back to Philippians 4.8, when he says, think about these things, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. He's saying, edit what's happening in your brain with the good things of the Lord. It's not an easy process. You know, it starts hard. It takes time over and over. It's like training wheels for our brain again. But we are not alone. 
we have God's spirit. And listen to this encouragement. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So we can edit what happens in our brains. Okay, back to uh, bepping, not bopping. Bless, edit, progress. We move forward. We do the next right thing. We're anchored in a blessing. So our thoughts can be edited. We experience it through our emotions, and it ends up in progress in our actions. Ultimately, we can step forward in rebellion against the worry with the edited thoughts of the Lord. Maybe it is time to ask that person out, and it might just work. Maybe it is time to go after that new major, and it might just work. Maybe it is time to try for a job one more time, and it might just work. Maybe it is time to try and reconcile that friendship or that marriage, and it might just work. It could. It could be wonderful. Now, ultimately, we progress following the chronology of Jesus' teaching here. I ended at 632. Aaron's going to pick up next week, so I'm just foreshadowing. 633 is where we progress into seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided to you as well. We progress into seeking his kingdom. Bless Edit, progress. When worries pop, we bep, not bop, right? Say it out loud with me twice. Bless, edit, progress. One more time. Bless, edit, progress. Can I ask you to stand up with me, please? We're going to have a time of prayer. This is how we fulfill Jesus' words, to not worry. This is what grows our faith. This is what renews our minds and opens our lives and frees us from the stronghold of anxiety and the slavery of fear, do not create a foothold with worry. Go ahead and close your eyes. If you want to receive from the Lord, extend your hands out. Just, you don't have to, but. Now it's a safe space. The Spirit is with us. I'm going to give you freedom now. I'm inviting you. Let a worry come to your head. It's probably right there a real-time worry. Let it come to your head. And what do we do when that happens every day? Well, we start with bless. Lean back into the blessing of trust. And listen to these words. Receive them. These come straight from the words of Jesus. I have a heavenly father. He says, your heavenly father knows. My heavenly father is good. My heavenly Father wants good for me. My heavenly Father knows me and knows my needs. My heavenly Father is capable of providing. I am extremely valuable to my heavenly Father. Now from that place of blessing, back into trust. Edit. We bless, we edit. Edit the sentence, the worry. Rewrite it. What if it does work out? What if there is a healing? What if there is a provision? And 
And then we bless, we edit, we progress. Holy Spirit, give us insight. How can we take a step forward where worry and fear do not hold us back in this place? And what's that tangible thing for you? I don't know what it is, but let the Holy Spirit speak to you now. There are some in the room who need to know and decide that you actually have a heavenly father today who loves you. And Jesus as the one who saves you, that provides this way out of toxifying fear of life. You need to know that you are valuable to him. And for some, maybe years ago, you followed Jesus, but you've walked away. For others, you've never said yes to trusting in him. And and today's your day. You can have and know and trust that you have a heavenly father who loves you. And so I want to invite you now to trust in Jesus, to receive his forgiveness and his peace and his spirit. And it's a simple prayer. Just I'm sorry, thank you, please. And you can pray it along with me as I pray it out loud right now. But now's your time. Make your decision right now. I'm sorry, Lord, for turning away from you. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross in my place. Please, Fill my heart with your spirit. Forgive me. Be my Lord and leader now. Amen. And for all of us, may we go in the grace as we bless and edit and progress and overcome the power of worry and fear and step into the hope. Step into the hope. Step into the hope. Step into the hope.